0: We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state
1: of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to The Truth
2: Perspective on the Soft Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hello and welcome back to another edition of The Truth Perspective everyone. Today is Saturday, February 6th. And with me in the studio today is Harrison Kelly.
0: Hi General everyone. McCann,
2: hey everybody. And Meg McDonald and I'm your host returning Elon Martin. Hello. And we thought we'd talk a little bit today about inspiration. Every week we cover news stories and events around the world that are heavy and dark. And quite often the situation and the developments that we're following only seem to get worse. It's depressing. And we have each other and our audience and uh, others to share what we're seeing with. At the same time, there are stories, lights in the dark, uh, flares of inspirational information, acts of courage, uh, creativity, bravery uh, that people are enacting everywhere, all the time. And they live in or are seeing a very similar reality as we are, I believe. So we thought that this week we'd discuss inspiration, how it exists, how we can communicate it, um, where do we identify it, how is it showing up, to give you some idea of um, where we might go with this. We, I think we basically have an understanding of what inspiration is in its conventional sense. But uh, a little earlier, I was looking at the online etymology dictionary and um, had some interesting things to say about inspiration. One of them is that it's the immediate influence of God or a God, especially that under which the holy books were written, from Old French Inspiration, inspiration I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is inhaling, breathing in, Inspiration, from late Latin, tonem um, There's also the uh, stem of Latin inspirar, which means to blow into or breathe upon. Or, figuratively speaking, it's to uh, excite or inflame. Uh, to breathe in. And it gives a little biblical reference there. It says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So there's this idea of inspiring life through breath or to breathe into, to infuse, to animate or influence. And uh, by doing so, you are affecting, rousing, rousing, guiding or controlling, especially by divine influence. Uh, In Middle English, it said that it was also meant to breathe or put life or spirit into the human body, impart reason to a human soul. I think that's a very interesting kind of point of departure right there, to impart reason to a human soul, because is isn't so much of, the articles that are posted on SOT and uh, and the blogs that we pay attention to and the independent journalists that we read from aren't they imparting reason, some objectivity, some rationality into the minds and hearts of
1: people? Well, and and with that reason, you know, it's not just reason in terms of um, you know the 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 information that says, you know, what's going on, but also, you know, what is the the reason, the purpose, you know, of of all this. Um when you know when, when we dig into this material, uh it's so it's so depressing and and awful and and you know, just seeing reality as it is, um it it conflicts with everything that, you know, we we've uh, been grown up and taught yeah as uh as children and you know, every pretty much every everything that we look at, every system, you know, our political system, our educational system, science, medical establishment, uh our family systems, uh, you know, they they've all been uh so corrupted. Uh our religions, um you know, it it goes on and on and it's every facet of of uh of our lives that has become so corrupted and and trying to look at uh these things objectively and see them for what they are or what they are you know it's uh it it can be maddening um you know I, I i was thinking if if you took you know just the average person and say you were able to uh insert uh all all the truth of these you know what these systems are into a person and, uh, you know, their their mind would, it would snap. You know, we have to kind of go about these things. I think, um, you know, one, we have to look at these things one at a time. And, you know, gradually we, we kind of deconstruct all these things um, because it is, it is so, like just one issue um, for a person can be a really tough thing to, to tackle. Um, but... You know, when we look at our experiences of you know when we have done gone through this process on a particular issue, you know, when we come out on the other side, you know, it always we always gain and develop uh, from it. Um, yeah, and so I think when you know when we're looking, and I'm I'm glad we're we're addressing this topic. I'm sure many of the listeners have uh, are. That followed the other shows, uh, the health and wellness show, and behind the headlines, um, you know, we're following that theme, and you know, that's because it's such an important topic. Uh, there's so many people who, you know, do struggle, uh, and, and you know, it's a it's a natural thing to struggle, I think, with, uh, in, in facing these things, and you know, how to get through that, and uh, like you said, in, uh The opening of the show we want you know we have each other, and you know that's one of the the main ways i think to you know that we need to get through this. this is uh we get inspiration primarily I think from you know other people and their their actions when when we see somebody um opening up about their own struggles and their own lives um and and talk about these things. You know, that takes courage and you know, that is inspiring uh to see. You know, even if you've gone through that same thing, it's still always inspiring, uh to you know, it helps you move forward. So it's kind of like, you know, when you uh I I think um you know, the things that you want in life, if you want purpose, if you want inspiration, you know, those are the things that you also need to give uh to others um and you know it's it's uh it's this open system uh, that that can be created and um yeah I think you know we'll get into some of the dynamics but one of the one of the things I wanted to talk about was you know- uh, so when we're when we're talking about inspiration, you know what is it that we're looking for is it, is it just, you know when when that term's used you know, sometimes it's used in art, so this this piece was uh you know, creatively inspired. Um but I think when we're talking about it, um we're talking about you know an inspiration of consciousness, of awareness, you know, be, wanting to be more aware uh, of of our world, of ourselves. And you know, that that that's a that's a definition that um Gertjev used when In his book uh, "Meetings with Remarkable Men," he defined a remarkable person—or this this word "remarkable" as somebody who is able to inspire uh, consciousness in in others. And you know, I think um, you know a lot of people who listen to the show and who read Sot you know there's there's some amazing folks who you know work on on um on SaT and 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 the the sister sites and you know it's 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 inspiring you know the um just this this process of sharing yourself um you know i i wouldn't i wouldn't be here i know if if i hadn't started reading uh Night material like that woke up some like some curiosity about the world and um you know
0: it it, it inspired it, your own curiosity. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like it, you know, it was it was a, uh it was a tough process and that's the thing, you know, I think you know, we're not necessarily gonna get inspiration, you know, from uh from easy things. <laughs> it's it, it takes the struggle, uh it, it's part of it, I, I think. Absolutely, I agree. Well, I'm glad well I think uh, you said that actually. Oh, go ahead, Harrison.
3: No, it's all right. I'll hold on.
2: Well, I just wanted to say that what you just said, Shane, reminds me of that um, that classic quote from Edison, which is that his uh, and I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, his inventions required something like you know, ninety five percent inspiration. <laughs> five yeah. percent inspiration, and uh, really, what he was getting at was that there was this uh, drive in him uh, and a willingness to work very hard um, in trying new things when he was making his uh, innovations and, and inventions. And
1: uh, I'm going to nitpick for one second. I'm sorry. I think that was Einstein because Edison. I think he was a. I think he took. Advantage of a lot of people. I think he uh, he, like, he found this company and he had all these uh, these workers who had these inventions and he took credit for it. And he, it was his patent under his name, but you know I, I think he was kind of a a psycho himself. So I don't. I, I, I sorry to distract from the point because the the point is important. The point is that it's it's this uh, It's perspiration, this work, this effort um and you know from that yeah you know, there there is this uh this 1% even though it's a it's a much smaller uh percentage like that's a powerful driver right
2: is the inspiration a powerful driver yeah i mean
1: like that that's what it t- it's that with that 1% or 5% you know that 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 small percentage is a, is su- can be such a driver for all the efforts and work that we do that we put into something
2: right and and maybe the point there in that quote either from or Edison <laughs> is that uh one doesn't preclude the other uh we're not going to um, create things and achieve understanding in difficult things uh with only uh, that few percentage of inspiration, uh, we need to put the effort in and the struggle and the work uh, involved in um, in creating something new for ourselves, even if it's only a uh, incorporating a new element of uh, into our diets or starting a new detox regimen. Or uh starting a new job. It could be anything that's mundane, but it can also be putting out a tweet that uh that that speaks to, to a number of people who uh previous tweets may have never reached before. Uh there might be an element of doing a thousand such tweets before the one inspired one comes through, the message is just right, the timing is perfect, and then whammo. This uh this awareness is created and shared. Uh, someone is inspired to think of something in a new and and uh, and um, novel way that might be much closer to the truth than anything they've um, written before.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I've got an analogy, uh, like being a musician. Because um, one of the things that you'd said introducing the topic is that we we one of the ways that we think about inspiration is like when we hear about a piece of art that's been inspired, or even, you know, you can even go, um, you know, a movie or a scene or a song can be inspired by another song or another artist or or a life experience or something like that. And um, I think we can see that a lot in any kind of creative act where you have um, those inspired pieces that, uh, you know, those are the things where, um, well, being a musician. Um, you know, I've written songs, I've played a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, you know, performances with other musicians and like, to be honest, most of it is bad or you look at, you look back on it and it's just, you know, it's uninspired, but there's that, you know, maybe that one in 10 or that one in a hundred, um, you know, chance that you're going, that you're going to play something or write something that's really good. And you have no idea where it came from it just it feels like it just came out of the ether and i think that that gets to one of the aspects of creation that inbreathing of something mysterious and powerful and um... well i i think there's a few ideas that we that we should unpack when we when we look at inspiration and what it might mean and um, you know how it fits into our lives and so already you guys have mentioned a couple um, one is in the definition itself. It's that that inspiring, that that um, that almost mystical thing of the like the inbreath of God. But then Shane, you brought up finding inspiration from others and others' life experiences and things that we read. And so, so how do we mesh the two together? Well, I think uh, music is a good analogy too, because for those for those few performances that are truly inspired, for that song that just comes out of nowhere and is is really good um that would be impossible without all of the experiences that we've had in our lives. So again for music that could be just listening to a, a ton of music and really um incorporating it into yourself and practicing and learning all of the you know the boring scales and arpeggios and all of the 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 things that you know musicians do when they practice. That's the that's the perspiration. That's the work that just um the you have to put in in order to be creative and it would be impossible without other people and without um, you know with all that experience that leads up to that moment of inspiration and then there's the the mysterious part the part that comes from within That that um that I guess well people don't seem to have any control over it's something that just seems to happen it comes from bubbles up from some deep part of the subconscious so we can expand that into to all areas really, no matter what type of inspiration we're thinking of. And so when we, um, well, in our lives, I think what we need is we need to basically open our eyes towards the world and to look out and to to find those sources of inspiration. And um, so one of those, or some of those can be looking at um stories you know the the things that do inspire us these can be events from people's lives where we see examples of of courage and um like g- going through bad experiences and coming out of them um stronger and more wise and more loving people and well one of the examples that i think is really important is to to look at uh well to read people's autobiographies, or biographies, or just life stories. And these can be either, like, um, famous people, or even not famous people, if you just read stories about people who have gone through some sort of mental illness, or just who have had a really um, difficult life, or a difficult period in their life. Um, So some of the ones that just come to mind, there's the, the book on the, by, I think her name is Rachel Rayland, um, the Get Me Out of Here book, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, she she was she suffered from borderline um, personality, mm-hmm. and um, the, well, there are a ton. I mean, we talk <coughs> about them on the Cassiopeia forum. There's a we've got a, you know, a whole list of just great books that are just inspiring to see what people have gone through and how they've come out of those experiences. Um, Myth of Sanity is another great one by Martha Stout, but also um, examples of you know, people that we might think of as famous, who are um, just remarkable people. And Shane, you mentioned meetings with remarkable men. I think um, um, Gurdjieff was is a great example, and not just his own books, but the books about the the books from the people that knew him and wrote about their time with him. Especially when uh, around the the time of the Russian Revolution, when um, he and his students basically had to get out of Russia, and just the um, just to see the amount of of willpower and intelligence and love and kindness and compassion that Gurdjieff had to be able to to get through that situation successfully with, with their lives, with all of their lives. It is just remarkably inspiring. And I know I personally, when I'm, um, you know, when I'm feeling like I don't have a lot of, Willpower or inspiration, and I, I you know, I'm, de- or if I'm depressed and just feel like, you know, what's the point and what am I gonna do? When I read a story about someone like that, um, it does inspire something in me. It makes me, it, it gives me a little bit of willpower. It's like I'm almost kind of borrowing it, or f- from that person by reading about their situation. Um, and you, you can find that in in a, a lot of different people. Like uh, I know I've I've found inspiration from people like Martin Luther King or JFK or Dag Hammarskjöld um, to see their lives and to see the just the the effort that they put in despite all of the opposition against them and all of the um, you know the the world basically fighting against them and yet they still. Thought. They still stood up for what they, um, you know, what they really believed in, the values that they really had. And it's just, it's a source of strength, I think. And that's, so I think that's one of the external sources of inspiration that we can look to is is other people and their experiences. And, but I think that, that has to tie into um that definition you know where that word comes from that inspiration cuz i think there's something deep, deeply philosophical about you know just the word and the concept and the reality behind mm-hmm. it and um just to get in that uh, into that a little bit um you know what might that say what what is that inspiration what is that what do we receive from the you know the universe that, that, that what, what is that special something well i think it comes down to to the um that instilling of reason and um, reason in, in, in its broadest category as, you know, um, um, just th- for things to to make sense, to put things together, like why things happen. It's basically like you know, the philosophical questions of why, um, why and then how. And if, because just to, well, I'm just going to throw out a, a weird image. If you just imagine that you're just a video camera, like that's your consciousness. It's just a video camera if um if all that you have is what comes into you from from the external world then everything is like it's almost like seeing the world in one color everything's just the same there's no um there's no discernment or judgment or comparison between the different things that you're seeing it's all just images one after the other and there's no point of reference there's no one is better than than the other it's just okay there's a chair there's a person there's a person wrapping their arms around another person there's a person- pu- like pushing a knife into another person, and everything's just the same. If we were just these these blank these blank slates with uh with nothing else and just receiving these impressions that's all there'd be to it but that 's not what humans are like that 's not what what beings with consciousness are like. We see things and we compare them and we compare them to some kind of standard or um or value system and I, again, to go back to music, we've got we, we if we were just that video camera or you know that microphone, we'd just hear all this different music, and there would be no no difference between the truly inspired pieces of music and the garbage or the noise so humans we have this ability to to differentiate between something higher and something lower, and that's kind of like this mystery of of existence is is these, this you know beauty. So what is beauty? How do we recognize beauty compared to something else or something um um you know like and that can be in music or in human interactions. If we look at those two scenarios of of people, you know, one's hugging the other and one's stabbing the other, there's a difference and we feel it inside. And I think that we wouldn't be able to know the difference or to feel the difference if there wasn't something within us, something built into our consciousness that we receive from the cosmos, from the universe. You know, we could say, you know, from God or the divine or whatever that is. There's something that is instilled within us that allows us to see the difference. And, um, and well, I think that as we as we talk further on in the show and get into some examples, we'll be able we'll be able to see, um, you know, what that entails and what that says about who we sh- who we are and who we should be and what we what we do and what we should do in the world. This is a little intro. What do you guys think?
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I um when when you're talking about you know these um you know leaders like JFK and uh Martin Luther King, you know, it just strikes me how uninspired um the current um environment, you know, particularly in 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 the United States is. You know, we don't have inspired people mm-hmm. out in in public view um you know the 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 leaders of the day you know Trump and Clinton you know they they're totally uninspiring people you know the, there's mm-hmm. there's there's nothing in them uh to you know really awaken um you know that that uh that certain something in in humanity that that wants to uh grow and develop and and, and, you know, bond with other people, you know, it's all based on, uh, the, the opposite, you know, and, and it, it puts people to sleep. Um, and I literally. think a uh, lack
0: yeah. of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Literally.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, um, one of the consequences of, of being in that environment is that, you know, you don't see, um, you don't necessarily see when you accept that, when you accept that, that this is, you know, all there is, you're not going to see the inspirational things that are going on in the world or the inspirational people, um, like like Putin, for example. Uh, you know, he's he's an incredibly uh, willful and um, compassionate man, uh, and you know, it, it's it's amazing to see, you know, he, before before he kind of you know really established himself uh, on the world scene. You know, I I wasn't really familiar with uh, a, a lot of his history and and you know what he had done for Russia, and um, you know and uh, and a lot of people in the United States still don't know you know who this man really is, and you know it's 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 a travesty uh, because you know here is this person uh, working on the world stage. You know, doing these remarkable things, these inspirational things, you know, for the world, and because Americans are so um, entrenched in, you know, the lies, accepting this pathological system, you know, is 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 part of the shutting off. I think of of any inspiration, uh, or you know, it, it blocks it. Um, so. Yeah, so that, that that's that.
0: <laughs>
1: well, on, on the
2: subject of Putin, there was um, an interesting article posted the SOT uh, this week. And um, it was basically kind of covering his, uh, you know, reassessing his popularity around the world. You know, which countries uh, in the West were um, more or less, uh, you know, down on Putin, uh, which ones, you know, thought highly of him. Um, apparently he's, uh, you know, Haaretz in Israel thinks that he has an incredible reach and and popularity, but then you have, um, you know, folks in France and Germany, according to some polls who have relatively low opinions of, of Putin. Um, but those are just some polls. Um, but the most interesting you know, part of this article I felt was, um, was what a um, a commenter had to say um, about uh, a fan club, um, and um, basically uh, it was said in the newspaper that a doctor Andrew Foxall, the director of Russia Studies Center at the London-based Henry Jackson Society, basically you know, brought it down to saying Putin's world is open to all who wish to belong. Hmm. And um I don't think we're at too much risk of reading into that. I think uh I think his point was that um was that what Putin kind of stands for, what he's come to represent is inclusiveness and fairness and uh and not persecuting people arbitrarily politically, religiously, uh that he's kind of uh not kind of, but he's definitely uh drawn the line and made a stand and uh and has taken a stand for basic fairness on a global scale. And um you know, reminds me a little bit of uh John Lennon's, you know, Imagine and, and the follow and the last l- lines and lyrics of that song. You know, and we hope you'll all join us um, and make this world a better place. And uh, so that's what I think of um, when I think about Putin. And I thought this article stated it well. And it's called "People Power." Putin's world is open to all who wish to belong. And Sputnik uh, had put it out earlier in the week.
1: Well, when well, there was, when I a, oh, go ahead,
3: what, what, yeah there was another article i believe it was on fort russ and it was citing some similar like statistics and polls from from different countries and the thing that stood out for me was that putin had a similar popularity rating i think it was something like one out of every three people in both israel and palestine so an equal number of israelis and palestinians both uh you know like putin essentially and so I, i thought that was pretty interesting that um that, that that would be the case if when you have um you know Israelis and Palestinians agreeing on something because um i mean there putin's been criticized by some kind of anti-zionists for his kind of um what seems to be his his friendly relationship with with israel and with um you know israeli leadership but um well it's a complex issue we won't really get it i don't think we should really get into it today but um basically i think um, Putin's philosophy is just like the the title of that article that you that you stated, Ilan, is that he's kind of taking the 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 approach that Caesar took, you know, two thousand years ago, which is essentially like whoever is not my enemy is with me. It's kind of like the almost the opposite or it is the opposite of the, the George Bush philosophy of you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. It's you know, if you're not if you're not against me then let's work together and let's try to figure out how we can how we can work together because that's the only way that anything gets done and it's the only sane um uh, sane approach i think to to any kind of politics or, or any kind of philosophy of life even i mean it goes from it goes from the level of just interpersonal relations relationships up to um you know international geopolitical relationships it's um it doesn't make sense to just be to, to be constantly in conflict with everyone around you and just to be the 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 one that wants to get to the top and to rule over everyone else it's just a it's not a sustainable way of approaching life and it it just leads to gross inequalities and pain and misery whereas if if people were just and countries were just to you know um Take this approach of actually working together wherever they can, and you know, negotiating and coming to certain kinds of compromises. A lot of things could be done, and we see these things getting done, you know, to, to a certain degree in the, the you know the, the group of nations that aren't under the thumb of you know American hegemony. Um, and I don't know. I think that it would be it would be great if we could see more of that.
1: Well, I think part of the problem with um you know in the United States is just you know this this control that the media has. And, you know, they don't, we don't really see um you know, we don't see Putin's speeches or uh any factual information about the man uh in, in the mainstream media here. And you know, that that's yeah, I think that ties into this, um, when, when Elon brought up earlier, you know, uh, the, this information, you know, we need information. And, um, you know, that ties directly into uh, inspiration. You know, the more information we have uh, and the more awareness that we have on, on a topic, you know, the more that we can tap into, um, you know, th- those creative energies, and you know, and see reality as it is, and you know, there, there is that conflict there because um, that means deconstructing, you know, a lot of the thing, a lot of the lies that we've accepted, and you know, that is a, a hard process, a difficult process. It can be, you know, depressing and terrifying, and uh, and and more, um, but doing that you know, you do, you do come on the other, you do, you know, uh, struggle through and come out on the other side and, um, you know, and the other side is so much, it's, it it provides that reason for being, you know, um, and yeah, it's, it's a shame that it's lacking in the United States, but, um, you know, it is, it does exist, uh, and, you know, it does require struggle, um, so well a little earlier um the
2: word courage was brought up in the context of um doing something inspiring uh something selfless something uh bigger uh than um what we're used to seeing or being on a daily basis and um i think maybe that you had um one or two stories that that spoke to you along those lines
0: yeah there was a couple actually I've got several, but there's a couple that really stood out in my mind um there is a a little elementary school in Indiana, and uh, the principal of that school was apparently where the buses are and uh got killed pushing two ten year olds away from a runaway bus um I guess when you're in that moment okay you you could be anywhere and you make a choice you know her, she chose to push these two ten year olds out of the way who did get hurt but are fine. And then she died because of that. So it was a selfless act. Um, that's inspiring to me because in the moment, you know, she I'm sure she didn't think to herself, what should I do here? There's a bus rolling towards these children. What should I do? She just acted. And it was a benevolent, she sacrificed herself basically for these kids, these 10-year-olds. So I thought that's, I don't know if that's brave or not. I mean, in the moment, I don't know what, what goes through your mind when something like that happens. But, it was inspiring to me, um, and I could not read the article, and I had to read it. So. Um, well, I th- well, uh, just, just I want to
3: comment a bit on, on that one. Um, I think that that is a brave act, even if it's even if it is um, automatic or unconscious, because there will be people in that situation who would not do anything, and who wouldn't even have the impulse to do something. And I think that, the, that that type of event, like basically sacrificing yourself for, for someone else, um, maybe that wasn't a case of it, but there are cases, and there have been, of people who actually willfully make the choice, you know, where they have a moment to think about it and say, okay, well, I could die as a result of this, but what I'm about to do is more important than my life. And um, and so the, and they there did, are examples yeah. of that. Yeah, and, and they do it. And, and they did and in that, Ukraine and... Yeah. 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 Well,
1: well, when when we
3: look
0: at it is
1: when we look at um, you know some of the most notable uh, leaders, um, you know in the U.S. You know when we look at Malcolm X, uh, Martin Luther King, JFK, you know I think they all did have these moments where um, they they knew like especially. Martin Luther King and, and Malcolm X. I know, like before that they were assassinated. I think they knew, you know, what was coming, yeah. and 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 still went, you know, went forward.
0: A continuing act of bravery, knowing they would lose
1: mm-hmm. their lives. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, yeah. Julius Caesar. I mean. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Same exactly. Thing. Um, I I don't think you know on when when we bring that uh, idea uh, into our personal lives it doesn't necessarily mean we need to uh, sacrifice our physical life uh, in in order to you know uh, provide some inspiration towards others Um, but we can go through that sacrifice of um, removing the lies uh, of our lives um, to and like that, that—that is a
0: sacrifice, and
1: it's—it's—it's it's, it's an inspiring sacrifice when people go through that process.
0: Well, I think that's an aspect to inspiration. I mean, this—this um, this principle. Uh, what they said about her is it said she had a remarkable way of making everyone she came into contact with feel so valued and important. She has a passion for children that is unmatched. When you lose someone like that, like you lose someone like Martin Luther King or JFK, it inspires people. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sacrifice and the suffering are inspirations of their own. I think. Um, the, there's teachers made this three-minute video before this, this this principal passed away about how great she was. I mean, she's her, she's going to have a legacy in that town and in that school, and people are going to try and live up to those standards where other people matter, where children matter. I mean, to me, that's inspiring because of what she represented. And the, and she was lost to that community. It's huge, I think mm-hmm.
2: so, you know when you were saying that, Meg, I was thinking that um this uh this power to inspire um, is is quite dangerous in a way mm-hmm. because uh you know when when you you know to use Harrison's words a little earlier, when you take it in or take it on, when you allow that um that inspiration that's been communicated or uh um, or shared uh, from a from a great leader, and that allows you to take on these views and and um, and become those views yourself in a way, become a kind of a a source of uh, um, a node, a, a place where these thoughts can be transmitted from further. Uh, this is a very powerful thing. Uh, some people think that it, it's the reason why John Lennon um, was also. We know that he was um, uh, considered an enemy by the FBI and in- intelligence agencies.
0: He inspired others to live differently and go against the system.
2: Yes. Yes.
0: And he had so many.
2: I mean, he was just a musician, right? But he wasn't. Uh, he had an understanding of, of reality that was very close to um, you know, objective, or at least as objective as I, I can uh, afford to see it. Um, or I am capable of seeing it. Um, But, uh, yeah, so, you know, inspiration can be dangerous in a good way. Um, And um, I think we honor uh, those people who've uh, sacrificed themselves um, to help bring awareness to others and, and who've worked so hard to inspire a new way of thinking about how the world exists and how it doesn't have to be the way that it exists. Um, and on the subject of uh, how the world exists and how it may not exist, I don't know, Harrison, if you want to get into um, something we were discussing a little earlier, uh, a little bit. Yeah, and, and this is yeah, that's, creating a new world. Yeah,
3: because it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky thing to look at because on the one hand. I think that what you said is true, like the world uh, the world doesn't have to be the way it is, but on the other hand, it does um, so maybe so maybe we can get into that um because I mean on the- uh, this is the third show that we've done on the sot radio network, kind of on this topic behind the headlines did it last week, and then the health and wellness show looked at it from a different angle yesterday. And one of the ideas was, that was brought up is that, um, like, we're not here to change the world. And I think there's a truth to that, too, because the world is the way it is. I mean, we can't fundamentally change the way um, reality is. It's just there are, I guess you could call them certain rules. It's just the way things are. Things happen in certain ways. And we can look at that, um, you know, at every every level and every aspect of reality from from subatomic particles all the way up. That things just happen in certain ways. And so I think the first order of business is that uh we have to see the world as it is. We have to understand reality as it is and as it and how it works. So part of that is is learning to see the world objectively. And to go back to my analogy of just being a video camera, I think that most humans, if not all humans uh, you know, in our ordinary state, we don't see reality as it is. When we're looking through that that lens, we we might we see reality topsy turvy. Uh, that's how Gurdjieff called it. Like we see reality upside down. So we might not even see what's going on. Um, it's it, it's almost as bad as we can see that that one person stabbing the other, and we can see something totally different. Now, I don't think that means that we you know we see the the knife as um, you know a, a bouquet of flowers, and we're just you know sharing the love and and spreading that love on the other person with these you know giving the the fragrant scent and the you know the beauty of flowers <laughs> when actually it's a knife it's not that bad but if we look at the world around us and we see the amount of killing and and uh if we if we look at murders going on if we look at the the situation in the states and in other countries of just police brutality there are people that look at those examples of the police Killing totally innocent people or people that pose no threat to them, and they come up with excuses for it, and they'll say that it's totally justified, and they'll take the police's line that this, you know, the, the cop must have feared for his life, and therefore it's okay. Uh, I know people; I've got, you know, old friends on my Facebook page that post uh, articles justifying this, and they post comments justifying it. That oh, it's just another thug. This one guy I know; he posted a video of a police. Um, a police officer, um, you know, he pulled someone over um, for, you know, for whatever, and that that person that he pulled over got out of the car, or this was a female officer, and the person who was, a, you know, a big male got out of the car and started beating this police officer, and so his comment was, well, this is, this is well, something like, this is why um, um, well, I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was in reference to one of the one of the stories that was in the news at the time of, you know, it was a pretty big case of the police killing some guy. So it was basically he was saying that these are that these kinds of thugs exist, and this is why it's okay that they that they get killed on the streets, even if they they pose no threat to the officers. So I think this is an example of seeing the world topsy turvy. This is an example where um, our our consciousness, the way we see the world, is totally twisted, turned upside down, where we don't we don't use that. That capacity that we have for for seeing a situation and coming to the, the the objective conclusion about that situation, and this gets into the realm of morality and you know what's right and wrong, and and you know the the measure or the standard that we judge situations by, where we look at that and say that that's wrong. So if most humans are in the state where they they can look at something that's t- a total travesty travesty and uh, you know an injustice and think that it's great and all good so the first order of business is to to wipe that clean and to start being, being able to see reality as it is so to see the events that are actually happening to see what is going on in the world the state of the world all these events that are happening to see them as they are to be aware of them and then on top of that to make that kind of that value judgment on it What you know, is, is it right or is it wrong? Could it be different or could it not be different? And this is where I think um, we can get into the, the area of, you know, what is change? What can we change and what can't we change? Well, we can't change the fact that this stuff happens. Um, but part of reality is that, and part of the, the rules of reality are that things can be done differently. I mean, if we just look at our lives, we can look back at who we are or and who we were Let's say, I I mean, I'd ask all of us and our listeners to just look back five years ago and say, well, who were you five years ago? How are you different now? How have you changed? How has your outlook changed? What have you learned? How has that changed how you live your life? And I think that hopefully a lot of our, our listeners and ourselves personally, we can look back and say that there has been some kind of change and that we have grown in certain ways. And I think that is part of reality. Change is a part of reality, and people can learn and grow and do things differently and learn to to live in new realities and live in different ways. So on the one hand, um, I think that there's that's the paradox of this is that there are these two kind of these two truths that on the surface appear kind of contradictory, but in reality they 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 exist within the same the same reality. On the one hand, there are things that can't change um but on the other hand there are things that can change and i it's it's i guess it's part of our goal part of our purpose to realize which is which what are the things we can't change and what are the things we can change because we are as much a part of reality as as everyone else and uh, to say that in a different way that the, i think that the good is as much a part of reality as the evil and it's a matter of of choice and learning and um deciding which part we want to, to embody in this world. And I think that is a source of change. So we may not be able to change the fact that there's injustice. We may not, not be able to change individual people. I mean, if you look at a person like like Dick Cheney or, um, you know, uh, I'm thinking about a Russian, the 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 evil kind of oligarchic psychopaths of this world, we can't change who they are. That's, and that's, I think, that's something that—that's that one of those hard truths that people have to to get around. Is that we can't change people, um, and we can't change certain types of people. We can't change certain situations. But there is an element of freedom. There is that tiny bit of wiggle room that that um, that people do have um, if they see the way the world is and if they see what they can change about themselves. I think that is a great source of not only inspiration but of real change. What do you guys think?
2: Well, um which part uh I'm I, I'm kidding of course, but uh there was a lot said there. And um but I agree with you, Harrison. I mean, um I think part of the challenge is um it's you know choosing to become the embodiment of uh of good or what you feel aligned to and uh and knowing for yourself that uh there is a uh, a certain amount of wiggle room there is a a percentage of um of perspective uh that can be shared and assimilated by people who might not be uh thinking in in the same terms that um that many of us would be right now um you know to scale this down a great deal i was having a conversation with my mom the other day and uh you know she's She's always really liked Donald Trump. Uh, you know, I'm embarrassed to say. Um, you know, she's watched him on his show, The Apprentice, and she has this perception of him as this really successful, uh, you know, businessman. And now he wants to become president, and and she likes how he speaks, and he's a family man. And uh, and then she heard him make a statement um, that was, uh, you know, quite arrogant, par for Trump. You know, he basically said um, something like, "You know, if I shot a man in, in the street, no one would question me." Um, it's something to that effect. That, and uh, you know, it, like like half of what Trump says, it just reeks, it stinks of arrogance and uh, megalomania and um, and malevolence even. And um, you know, she heard that, and and that one statement of his kind of completely changed her perception of who this guy is. And I thought, good for you, Ma. Now if only you can go there with Hillary Clinton. Um, but anyway, the, the point is uh, that there is a certain leeway we have, I think. And and we have to, if we want to, if we're inspired to, uh, we can work on on sharing the information and the inspiration that will allow people to make choices for themselves about what is true and what is not true. And on that note, I, I think we might have a caller here. Let's see. Hello, hey, caller,
4: are Steven. you there? Yeah, this is Stephen. How are, are you? Doing very hey, well. Steven, Thank welcome you. Welcome to the show. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying, enjoying your show. Um, now, I've said this to you all before, um, and it's kind of a, a touchy subject because um i really don't i really don't find these these um ideas that people posit like of objectivity of what is real of uh truth concrete i think all of these are unhelpful and um and and i and i say that with a qualifier um i understand that there's going to be just your your interpretation and your presentation of it's going to be more compelling to other people more convincing more true quote unquote small t than the than, than the uh, the opposite you know it, it being false right so i think that the danger of this is that you claim that you're seeing things the true the reality you're seeing things objectively while all these other people are just dupes they're inferior there, there, and, and I think that's just—it's—it's it's kind of—it's—it's uh, it's unhelpful, and um, I believe like I, if, I don't know if you guys have ever been exposed to Rupert Sheldrake. He did a TED talk, and he's a—he's uh, a botanist, a scientist in England, and he's written uh, something called the Science Delusion. That was the title in England, and um, there's another title that he presented that work here in the United States that was different, but. Anyway, he he looked at ten things that had that, that had to do with materialist science that were um, were fallacious, were uh, were uh, flawed, and and one of them was that he did some examination of what they called the gravitational constant, and this is the force of gravity that can be measured, um, you know, and it's supposed to be constant, and he noticed around the late 1930s that there were these fluctuations. You know, and they were measured in different parts of the world. And then he went to this this department that had to do with metrics, with measurements, which is a scientific discipline in, in England. Um, and he went there. There's an academic department. He went to the head of it and goes, hey, you know, uh, I've been noticing that this gravitational constant in this phase, this five year, it varied. And uh, and that got, the guy got all nervous. He goes, oh, we, we just tried to omit that, you know. <laughs> so in other words um the speed of light things that we measured um these are not um in my opinion these are not something that are uh, concrete and constant across all times and all conditions because um we're going to be the speed of light may um may be slower in a certain context in a certain universe uh you know black hole I'm not I'm not really steeped in this but I'm just saying that um I just find it unhelpful to a certain degree, um, but at the same time, I qualify that statement by saying that, um, you know, um, positing the idea that everything's relative and your opinion's just as good as mine—that's that's wishy-washy crap. And uh, when I hear people talk about eugenics, some race of people, so po- so-called race being superior or inferior to another um, cultural. Cultural hierarchies, where you claim that some culture is inferior to yours, um, you can call me a relativist, but um, I just think that that's unhelpful. It's divisive, uh, with, with, as per humanity. Um, so, these are this is a very complicated subject. And um, but I wanted just to go back and um, talk to you about my experience with the, the situation with Vladimir Putin and my understanding of it. Um, you know, from my perspective here. And I've thought a lot about this because a long time ago, you know, I used to be a Putin hater, and not really a hater, I just didn't like the guy because I was told by all these lefty liberals that he was an authoritarian, this is in the early 2000s, and he's a bad guy, and, you know, he wasn't, like, supporting, like, communist transition in, in Russia, I guess, or whatever, a more leftist vision, so I kind of took what everybody said about him being corrupt, bad guy, and I met a Russian lady in South Beach, Florida. This is like the Miami Beach area, and people are on vacation. And this lady, she's kind of a pudgy, older lady. And I said, oh, you're from Russia. Yeah, was. What do you think about Putin? He goes, oh, Putin, you know. like she started, like, raving over him. And I'm like, ah, you know. And I look back on that, and I'm like, what? You're kind of like, you're such a judgmental dick for just imbibing <laughs> the opinions of others and taking it as, as your catechism. So anyway, let's flash forward to today and my understanding of Putin, um, especially after what happened in Ukraine, which was a huge eye-opener for me. Um, and you know what I think the difference is with Putin and how people in the United States will analyze Putin and then how we analyze our own leaders here is we're at a different mode and dynamic and trajectory. Uh, we're a different culture, but... Um, I just hear all this trash talk about Putin, just like this very kind of uneducated, unsophisticated generalizations about him. And, and when you think about Russia and what Russia has went through, they were on their backs and they were just being told, people were internalizing the belief that, you know, we suck, we totally suck, look at America, you know, and and they people started really believing that, hey, we suck. And then Putin comes along, and he's like, he just reminds them, we're great people. We've done great things. And, you know, he reminded them, we we won the great patriotic war, and these are our people. And then he revived the stories, and he just reminded the Russian people that, no, you're not pieces of crap. You, you, you're you valuable. You've done great things. You've got a great history, a great ancestry. You've got great, unique traditions that we need to honor among ourselves, and and then Russia started coming on its feet, and then right at the same time, the United States, Britain, and all these, they, they kept lying to Russia, taking advantage of it, you know, taking these venture capitalists and going in there and raping their resources, and and Putin's like, uh, no, no, we're, we're not going to do that, you know, no, we're just we're just not going to do it. So when when you look at the dynamic of the United States which is a an empire it's it's hegemonic it's imperialist it's arrogant it cannot see itself sharing power with any other power it has to totally it has to debilitate and it has to attack any other rival and we're in that we are in that dynamic and even the left most of the left commentators i love mike whitney i love eric draitzer they're great people but um just the vast majority of these so-called left liberal they're, they're totally like regurgitating this kind of like quasi-imperialist like interpretation of things but you know when you think about putin like i tried to tell people why i respect putin and it's like wow and I, i'm not coming at it like a fanatic i'm just trying to interject a different point of view and wow it's been uh it's been very difficult. I've been I've been noticing a, a, you know, to people I try to engage, they get nervous and they really just don't don't want to talk about it, you know. And it's like they can't allow themselves to put themselves in the shoes of a Russian person, and going what they with what they went through with uh, the late stages of, of totalitarian so-called communism, and then being you know the 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 total like the dissolving of the state almost where you have these mafia gangs and all kinds of mafia crime and then, you know, getting back on their feet. They just can't or they won't just have some empathy and put themselves in the position of a Russian. And I think that, you know, just getting back to the core of the issue, Putin's in a different dynamic and the Russian people are in a different dynamic totally (laughs) where they can see themselves as protagonists and we are in a dynamic of corruption, imperialistic hubris, and on the precipice of dissolving and decline. And the situation in um, in Syria really signals the United States losing its place in the Middle East, and that's why they're so desperate, and their narratives are totally unbelievable. They just don't hold up, and even the citizenry here, notice the just huge contradictions in the grand narrative that, you know, no, you're supporting these, like, jihadist, al-Qaeda-linked terrorists that are mercenaries. And um, Russia totally has the upper hand. They're trying to protect a viable state, adhere to international law. And it's just like there's this, we're at this really weird place here that um, very few people in this country can posit ideas that, like, Help us regroup, get on a better track, and I, I I just think that maybe like we should be able to use the internet and cooperate economically, but it's just not happening. And I kind of think that maybe we just in a position that we're so steeped in these debilitating consumerist patterns of uh, disengagement and mind numbness that maybe we just have to, to- totally go through this stage. Of uh, decline and experience the collapse before we can really come together and do something tangible as far as, as economic and, and political movement. And now we're just set, we're just watching like we're almost we feel almost powerless. We watch Sanders and then we watch Clinton and we see Trump and it's just such a freaking farce and it's all controlled by the big players behind the scenes and it's just seems so utterly hopeless and hypocritical. And I we're in this really
2: I'm just gonna interrupt you there because um Yeah I'm uh, sorry for like going on. A, I that's yeah. okay. Uh it's all all good stuff. Uh Harrison did you want to comment on any of that? Were you just about to say something? Uh no,
4: I'll I'll hold on a bit. Well anyway okay. that's all I that's uh, all I really had to say but I just think that we're in this we're in this kind of funky situation 'Cause all of our consciousness, you guys and mine, we're still as much as we're critical of the system, we're still tied to it in very uh very very tangible ways that seem mm-hmm. you know, inescapable. So it's just it's just a really weird thing, you know, it's just a really weird situation. So anyway, I look forward to listening to the rest of you alls show, okay? okay. All right, thanks, Stephen.
2: Yeah, well, good, right, good comments as, as usual, Bye-bye. Stephen. Thank you. I appreciate right, it. Bye bye. We may have a second caller here. Uh, let's check in with them and see if they're they're there. Hello, caller. Are you there?
0: Hi. I'm just listening. Just
2: lo- okay. Enjoy. Okay. We're back. Um, so Stephen had a lot to say there, as usual. Um. Well, any points
1: you want to Yeah, the uh, we we we've, we've discussed this a little bit before, but it does tie into I think what we're talking about now. Um and going from what Harrison uh was was previously speaking about uh in terms of, you know, facing these these hard truths and you know that we can't change others. Um Yeah, you know, there uh, I think there is this difficulty uh in accepting, you know, the world as it is. And in order to look at the world as it is, we, we I think there does need to be, you know, um a an effort uh to see things objectively. Um now, you know, w- what does what does that mean? Um, um you know, th- there is this foundation you know it's it's not talking about uh, one of our chatters had a good comment you know it's not it's not that we're looking at the world in absolutes you know there is there is a context for everything and that context can define you know the the truth of things and you know in in that work towards that i think many of the struggles that people face you know is is in just coming to terms with you know the reality as it is that 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 there is some awful stuff going on and you know when we look at the statements you know uh, coming from the state department or you know the white house um you know these are lies there there's lies that you know we can look at and di- and dissect you know there is a truth and there is a lie and i think that that's important because, you know, it, it it all comes down to, you know, what are we accepting into our world uh as 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 truth? You know, are we accepting the lies that you know John Kirby says that uh from the State Department and you know, it it's just these ridiculous you know, you, I have this proof and well what is it? Uh well I said it. <laughs> so so it's truth. I don't need to provide it you know it it's, it's it's so it's so absurd and you know it they're they're fabricating this reality out of out of thin air you know it it's not true you know the, there is a truth and there then there are lies um sometimes the truth is that there are these lies you know yeah. Yeah. and um well, go ahead Harrison
3: uh yeah i just want to try to say kind of reiterate what you're saying, just in some different terms, because uh, I, I think I can I can see where Stephen's coming from. Um, I mean, and we can even, you know, we can debate the meanings of words and stuff like that, but I think that the, the truth is essentially what you're saying, is that it's inescapable that there are truths and there are lies, uh, truths and lies. And I think that comes back to this inspiration and this instilling of reason, is that humans we seem to have the capacity to differentiate truth and lies and we can think about that on the most basic level um and it, you, i mean our the entire justice system you know as bad as it may be in practice the idea behind it is sound if if there has been a murder um someone committed that murder and if there's a suspect that suspect may be the person that actually in fact truthfully killed that person or they may be lying they may be lying about an alibi they may have Manufactured some kind of narrative to get them off the hook, but in reality, it either happened or it didn't um in reality, this person was murdered, and the 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 suspect the the alleged murderer either killed them or they didn't it That's just basic black and white truth or lies um and I think that is inescapable and as humans, I think that what we're doing here and what's even what Stephen is doing, he's trying to be as objective as possible in his views. So even by arguing that um, there are only compelling and less compelling narratives about what happened, um, uh, from my perspective, what Stephen is doing is he's trying to present a true picture of reality by saying that. And I think that's all any of us are doing when, when we are arguing a certain position. We are trying to convince other people of the truth of our position. Now, there will be things that are less... or. Uh, uh, or more difficult to, to prove one way or the other. There are things that may be true that we will never be able to know that are true. Um, just look at history. There are documents that have been destroyed. We will probably never know. You know what happened on January 31st, 2500 years ago in some little village or town just because we don't have record uh, access to the records if there were any of what happened so i mean something happened on that day but we will never know what happened on that day on the other hand there are things that we can know with absolute certainty and like for me personally you know i i know where i am right now and that i'm talking to you guys on this tv on this radio show Uh, But then there are things that we can only come to, um, you know, to to more or less compelling um, narratives about what happened, because some things we can only know probabilistically, we can't know with absolute certainty. But that's just on a very basic, you know, that's a very basic, um, you know, epistemological fact about, and ontological fact about what reality is and how we come to know it. But on the other, uh, one other aspect of that is um, the objectivity or the truthfulness or not of certain um, values and, you know, so rights and wrongs. So when we're talking about seeing the world objectively, um, we're talking kind of on multiple levels. One of those is just the, you know, the base facts of the situation. So we can get into things like the state, what the State Department says did or didn't happen. Oftentimes the State Department just flat-out lies about things that happened when they didn't, or vice versa. And then we can add a value judgment on top of that that, that certain things that the State Department does or represents are morally wrong and could be better in a better world. And I think both are valid, and I think that it is... It is the the duty of every person to take a stand on those sorts of things because we wouldn't be arguing for for certain positions or uh, we wouldn't be talking about certain situations in the world if we didn't have this deep conviction that, that, uh, that, that certain things are right or wrong. I mean, to take a stand on something like the Iraq War or the invasion and destruction of Libya or what's going on now in Syria or what's going on in Ukraine those require a a like um a perspective on basics of what is right and what is wrong if it is right to to invade another country to to pay mercenaries to go into that country to kill people to rape and torture them like that to me is a line in the sand the same thing with the guys that will excuse police brutality and extrajudicial, you know, executions on the streets of America. Um, for me that's a lie in the sand. If someone accepts that, you know, I can't get behind that. Um, I can't support that decision and I can't I can't um take the relativistic point of view that, oh well that's just their opinion. They're as you know, they're as right as I am because everyone's truth is true. Um, you know, so I think that, you know, S- Stephen doesn't agree with that either, so I mean that's something that we can agree on um but i think all those things need to be taken into account to in order to kind of understand where we're coming from and um you know our value systems
2: well uh on that subject it seems that um there've been a lot of developments uh recently um one story that we wanted to cover today was the uh these Geneva peace talks uh, for Syria, um, which, you know, if you understand a certain way, uh, you know, you can have this perception of it as the U.S. government trying to bring all of the various factions together and preventing further destruction and and war and, um, and trying to do something kind of constructive and good. Uh, and on the surface, I, I think a lot of people might hear a blurb about it on the evening news or or read about it in their uh you know favorite propaganda rag and and decide if they've already decided about the US that it's you know the home of freedom of, and democracy that the US is doing all it can to you know help rectify the situation uh in Syria and in the Middle East. Um but then you know you scratch just a little deeper and uh and you realize that it is the most cynical sham of a diplomatic effort to uh you know presented to try and seem benevolent and 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 constructive in a situation that has been created by the very parties who are pretending uh to be negotiating in good faith um so uh you know basically um you know we have these talks uh that have been occurring in in Geneva that were initiated um some months back um by the US primarily and uh and you know it, it's funny Russia said that it would go into Syria at its invitation to help drive out ISIS um and ISIL and and uh and the other so-called moderate rebels And, um, you know, where was the U.S. prior to Russia coming into Syria and actually doing what the United States was purporting to be doing for a year, uh, fighting ISIS? Um, You know, where was the United States at that time? Where was Saudi Arabia uh, saying, let's come to the table and and negotiate um, some kind of end to this tragic uh, situation in
1: Syria? There wasn't any. Well, they were busy funding and training those very terrorists. Exactly. Now, what I find just, uh, you know, hilarious, uh, depressing, all all in the same is, you know, so the U.S. has been pushing for, you know, these talks uh, to to get these um, oppositional, so-called oppositional leaders together for for months and months and months. You know, they've been talking about it and talking about it. Now, meanwhile, they've been dragging their feet by not defining who these opposition groups are, uh, and they still actually haven't defined that. You know, Russia's still coming out and saying, okay, we still need, you know, the names. Who, who are these, these, these oppositional groups? So what we do have, or what they did organize, was a, um, uh, not a coalition, a delegation. Which was led by none other than Saudi Arabia, which is just completely ridiculous in itself. I mean, you know, for Saudi for Saudi Arabia to represent a Syrian delegation for the peace process is completely absurd. I mean, they're they're on uh, they're they're even admitting now that you know they're they're spending. This this is from I don't know if it was from their uh, defense. Their ministry, whatever, but you know, top officials are admitting that you know they're they're spending millions of dollars funding Al Qaeda. I mean, you know, it's 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 a fact. They're admitting it. It's out in the open. Yes. So for them to be, to be these the, the uh, leading this delegation is just absurd in itself, and that these talks broke down after just two days. Really goes to show just how much of a farce it was. I mean, there there's ob- there was obviously no sincere effort to really engage in this process. Now there are <clears throat> there are a few members of the delegation who you know um, are actual Syrian um, politicians but there's there's very few and they actually had you know a very difficult time uh getting to Geneva and being a part of the process um but you know others you know that they, they, that are basically you know fronts for the west you know they they were there and and you know they they uh they didn't attend one of the meetings they they, they only there was only two meetings that that were planned and you know they they skipped out on one and and then uh so after what really uh stopped things was um the Syrian army after um they they broke uh this blockade uh in uh northern Aleppo and you know this blockade uh being held in um by by these you know so-called rebel forces which is uh, al-Nusra and uh, al-Qaeda yeah you know, they uh they were taken. they had taken over these towns these villages uh for nearly 4 years and so this battle had been going on for you know an extremely long time and finally uh the Syrian army broke through and you know this is a huge uh story and it's it's a it's a, it's a great it's a, it's really good news However, you know, this has been distorted uh in 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 the West to to be a bad thing. And and you know, it, well it's not even it's hardly even talked about in you know in in its true form. And you know, this is this is being used as an excuse to, you know, to throw out the 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 peace talks or or put them on pause uh as, as they're calling it. Um but you know it it just it just goes to show that you know the united states leading uh this side of of, of the talks just it, they're not serious there's no seriousness whatsoever and they don't want um they don't want to see any of the the russian successes they want to stop what russia's doing so they're calling for you know the ceasefire they they're saying that you know the the Syrian army needs to stop um murdering civ- civilians and 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 doing all these things you know and and they're not providing any kind of evidence for that because they don't have any i mean it, it's it's completely bogus you know they they're still trotting out these these claims of um that you know the the Syrian government is um keeping humanitarian aid from from reaching these civilians and it's that's you know that's not the truth. It's
2: Russia it's, targeting civilians. Yeah,
1: Russia is targeting civilians. You know, it, it's all it's it's all lies and you know the, and they don't they don't provide any kind of evidence. So you know this is this is more of an effort from the U.S. to um, try to regroup their forces, their terrorist proxy armies, and. Yeah, and and I don't I I, I don't think Russia's you know they're not going to go along with the with with this this garbage you know they're 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 making um, some inroads and 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 they're having some some major successes with the Syrian army and yeah you know, that that's it's it's good news it's it's inspiring. Well,
0: if, if the war on terror is one you want to win, why would you need a ceasefire? Yeah, you know, and just Russia is mopping the floor up with ice is I saw all those people. And you want a ceasefire? Why? You know? Right. Don't you want well, to win the that, war on
3: terror? I think I mentioned it um you know, several weeks ago or maybe even months ago, um, how this scenario kind of resembles what happened in Ukraine um twice over the past couple of years. Um, because when the height of, at, at the height of the Ukraine conflict, so this is the you know, the war in East Ukraine, two times the Novorossian Armed Forces, so this is the, the militias of Donetsk and Lugansk, they encircled a large number of the Ukrainian army in East Ukraine. So what that means is they basically cut off a whole bunch of, uh, of Ukrainian soldiers in. they encircled them basically. And that's a dangerous situation to be in because all the the uh, encircling force has to do is close in and there's nowhere for these guys to go they have no access to reinforcements or um, ammunition or food or anything they're just they're just stuck they are then under siege and so both times that this happened um, the U.S. called for the, the talks in Minsk and that's what led to the to both of the Minsk agreement protocols that got signed so the, the scenario just pointed out the absolute duplicity of the American position, that they were willing to fully support um U- Kiev and the Ukrainian army's advance on um on the, the Donetsk and Lugansk militias, but as soon as Ukrainians got themselves basically um, you know, in a in a situation where they were would be utterly defeated, then they called for ceasefire. It's like okay, we're good for war as long as our guys are winning. But as soon as they're not winning, then war is bad, and we should have a ceasefire. So, but and both those times, um, well, uh, on both occasions, either scenario would work out for for Russia and the the Donetsk people and Lugansk People's Republics. Because on the one hand, if the talks didn't go through, then there would they would have a military victory. On the other hand. They don't want to be at war. They just want to be living their lives the way they, they the way they have been living. They want to be able to you know, speak Russian and not be killed. And so a ceasefire would be great. So it's a win win situation for them. And that's why uh, you know Russia handled that situation expertly, I think, um, by getting these Minsk agreements because um, that ceasefire led to the conditions that that have shown that Kiev is a totally non responsible, irresponsible party in the in the conflict. They are doing nothing to implement those agreements and the the ongoing ceasefire. Now in Syria we've got a very similar situation where for years the US has been supporting um, this armed conflict. They've been supporting it overtly and covertly. So you had um you've got well you've had the the pentagon and the cia both with their rebel training programs so um and for years they've been doing this now after a few months of russian support with their airstrikes the syrian army is um taking territory back um all over the country and with some major strategic victories and as soon as that starts happening then of course you know just like in ukraine with the the Minsk talks we have the u.s. saying okay we need a ceasefire we need a ceasefire the only reason they're calling for a ceasefire is because their guys are getting killed and they're in danger and but it but there is a slight um, difference in this case in the sense that the syrian army is the legitimate government they have um, you know the, the, the full right to be doing what they're doing in their country because the, the the rebels that the U.S. has been supporting and that they've been at war at um, at war with for years are terrorists, and so uh, the the Syrian army didn't have to you know doesn't have to um, um, go through with any ceasefire. They can just continue with victory after victory because they are fighting a war on terrorism so in this sense it's a it's a total win for the Syrian army and for Russia because they don't need to you know they don't need to abide by this ceasefire and even if there were a ceasefire it doesn't uh, you know all parties agree it doesn't apply to al nusra and isis because they are terrorist groups so what happened in this in this situation was that the 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 Syrian army was making advances towards this this tiny region with these few towns that were um you know loyal to to the government um, and to Syria, and by by taking over that territory and putting it under control of the Syrian army, it would actually cut off the, the rebels and the terrorists in the south from the north, and that is their supply line not only um, between important uh, cities in Syria, but also to Turkey. Because this is on the, you know, very close to the Turkish border to the north there, and so what the, the Syrian army has essentially done is that they have cut off both these groups. The group in the north now cannot get to the south; they can only basically flee to uh, Turkey, because they've got the Syrian army on the the south and the Kurds to the west, and then the guys to the south of that have no access to their supply lines in Turkey or to uh, you know the ISIS-held con- uh, territory in the north. So. It's just been—it's a major strategic victory. It is inspiring, and it just goes to show the the, the total American duplicity that they are only willing to um, to promote peace and to you know to to have these high-sounding words about about peace and ceasefire when their own terrorists are you know in danger. It's very telling.
1: Well, you made this uh, <clears throat> that comparison to uh Ukraine and uh the bringing about of the Minsk uh, agreements and you know I I do wonder you know where you know these uh so-called peace talks you know what the direction uh they will go you know um I I think it's you know very probable that you know Russia will continue its military operations and you know not take you know any kind of um serious Consideration of you know the U.S. lies and uh, bogus claims and you know calling for a ceasefire and, and so on, um, but you know I, I still do wonder or I'm curious you know where what direction um, these peace talks will go in because of that distinction that that you made, Harrison, of you know the in in, in Syria you know it's not like there are there is this legitimate or actual opposition force um within Syria you know these these are primarily hired mercenaries so you know uh i yeah I'm, I'm i'm i i do think that putin does and will seek for you know a political solution uh as well you know at at some point um but you know what 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 will that mean you know uh will there be Uh, some form of, uh, you know, an agreement. But, you know...
2: Like you said earlier, it's
1: an agreement with who. Right,
2: exactly. You can't point to a single person among even this kind of so-called moderate uh, group of um, rebels, uh, which is a misnomer in and of itself, um, who has any kind of vision or plan or uh, positive... um, thing to say about what Syria should be like uh nothing uh we just haven't heard it because it doesn't exist um so uh these Geneva talks uh they're ruse uh like Harrison you were saying i mean this is really just set up to uh buy time um for uh the um these fanatics uh in Syria to regroup and uh you know, find places to go with their tails between their legs as they're getting completely trounced uh, by the Syrian military and uh, and the Russian uh, air support. Um, so, I think that these talks will continue for as long as the U.S. Um, and Saudi Arabia and Turkey find them a useful pretense, and um, and that might not be very long. I mean as all of this was happening um we read that there were uh bombings by the Russian air force for like 35 hours straight <laughs> uh you know that that which is like the legitimate response to this to this bullshit of a of a diplomatic um meeting um so I think that you know and we've talked about this here before there is um there is this drive that exists uh among the powers of the u s and and Turkey and syria uh this kind of psychopathic drive to um to dominate at any cost um, but they but they're still making some effort not to be too obvious about it uh which is why they come up with these um you know these these Geneva talks so that Kerry can come out the next day and say we've asked the Russians to cease fire and they're and they're still uh, you know they're still going on and 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 doing what they're doing they're they're not listening to us or trying um, but at some point I think uh and the day may come very soon because as we know now you know the Saudi Arabia has been trying to you know they're like okay now we're going to go into Syria with our troops and and we're going to fight uh, ISIS which is a complete joke in and of itself um, and Turkey is amassing its forces on the border between Turkey and, and Syria and that's another story that that can be discussed here um, and uh, and the U S continues NATO encirclement and and um, and exercises and. And, uh, and provocations, uh, like we saw a few weeks ago in the in the form of um, them going into uh, or close to Iran with their naval vessels. Um, but I think they're going to make a big mistake very soon. They've already made a lot of big mistakes, and they're capable of taking it uh, to another level. And when they do, they're going to be responded to uh, with such strategy and intelligence and force, um, and I think it, it's going to be obvious to all but the the really brainwashed remaining people of the world uh, that the U.S. is at fault for so much of what we're seeing in the Middle East right
3: now. Well, I think that uh, to go back to to Shane's question about where these Geneva talks or just you know peace talks in general will go, I think there's only really one uh, trajectory and um, well to get into that uh, Syria as it is now the Syrian government has a policy in place of amnesty so if any of these rebel groups want to basically surrender um, give turn in their weapons they, they're allowed to do so and they will be like reintegrated into Syrian society so that option is on the table and there have already been you know hundreds and hundreds of of these rebels that have taken that path. Now, so I think that the what that or the option that that leaves open is that for a lot of these so-called rebel groups, they can pretty much just change their name, like from the Judean People's Front to the People's Front of Judea, and <laughs> rebrand themselves. And once they do that, they can get their amnesty and, you know, be a part of these peace talks and agree to a ceasefire. But however that goes, the Syrian government will remain in control. They will be the ones, um, you know, uh, in charge of the country. They will ha- have their existing infrastructure. Once that happens, if there is ever a ceasefire with these rebel groups, um, I, you know, there won't ever be a ceasefire with ISIS, that's another story, but um, but with all these so-called rebel groups and with al-Qaeda, that's the, the direction it will go. Once that happens, um s- the Syrian government and the Syrian army will regain control over all of those territories. That will make um, the existence of these rebel groups in those territories nearly impossible because there is the intelligence apparatus and uh, the entire uh, infrastructure available to keep tabs on, find these terrorists, arrest them if they act out, and basically reestablish control of the country in those areas. So it's basically a no-win situation for these rebels. They basically either have to fight to the death or surrender. And once they surrender there's nothing they can do um except you know try to cause trouble. Um of course they they can do that to a certain degree, but they they just can't survive to the to the extent that they are now as the situation is now. Um there will just be there's nowhere for them to to run because they don't have the support of the people in these in in, in Syria right now or in the future so what does that mean well that is an ideal situation for Syria and the world in general but it is not an ideal sc- scenario for the US and its allies like Turkey and Saudi Arabia so that's where we get to the scenario that you're talking about Ilan about an, an escalation because that's really the only way the only place that it can go if the US won't accept defeat in Syria so if they are unwilling to accept defeat and unwilling to accept that that uh, Assad and his government will re, will um, remain in control and reestablish control over um, rebel-held territory in Syria, the only option for them is to escalate the military or escalate the the fighting and the military situation there through probably um, you know Saudi Arabia and Turkey. But even that is probably doomed to fail because. Um, I mean Russia has made very clear where it stands and what its red lines are and um while it may not have at the moment um you know a total um, military um, let's you know like inequality of troops and hardware it does it has established a very strong presence, so I mean Turkey has more jets than Russia has jets but I mean, with the S-400 and with, uh, you know, if Turkey were to to start something, I think very quickly the Russians and the Syrians would be able to respond to that and probably even dominate. So if, if Turkey were to, for example, um, you know, start anything from their side of the border, the Russians and the Syrians could very easily—I mean, the, the Russians could very easily just launch a few cruise missiles and take out whatever um, you know military hardware Turkey has set up and, and would, that it's using or will use to to attack <clears throat> um, attack Syria. So it's really up to the the U.S. if they are going to escalate this even further. So that, I think that's just what we've got to watch out for and see what happens
1: that that second scenario with uh Turkey you know going into syria you know that that raises some other issues too with you know how uh NATO would respond um, you know um I think it's pretty fair to categorize NATO as a uh, a big bully and you know that that they're chopping at the bit and um but that they don't necessarily i i don't I don't know that they that NATO would actually back up Turkey that would be yeah. um i mean that that would ultimately be a, a a huge disaster i think if uh if if NATO uh, got involved in uh in, in a direct confrontation with with Russia i mean that that's something uh i'm sure you know any sane person does not want to see happen um but the question is like how desperate is the the US and how far are they willing to to take this
2: well are we um well i'll just say that uh on on this whole topic in general just backing up a little bit um there have been such good pieces uh, that have been um posted to Sot recently on the subject that every time I he- I read one that uh that puts all of this into this objective perspective, um especially when you have a guy like Finian Cunningham or or um or even one of our own editors write a a focus, uh, that um really conveys just how desperate and and upset and confused uh you know the us is by by these their plans going wrong i'm inspired uh just getting back to the theme of inspiration uh we've seen so much horror for so long it's just gotten so much worse over the past few years that um that that to have who we have mm-hmm. out there uh shining a light mm-hmm. on the situation in the in the ways that they have um it's just uh you know it it it's good <laughs> it's it 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 makes it more um, a little a little bit more easy to digest at the very least and um and
1: yeah and to be able to get through the day um i I had this point in mind earlier when I was talking about uh putin and Russia uh but I didn't get to it and it was that um prior to putin coming on the scene you know it was a and looking at things geopolitical, geopolitically was extremely extremely depressing because there wasn't a, a positive force um you know really active on 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 the on the global scene and you know year after year you know looking at that was was um very uh frustrating and you know it just felt like uh, you know the that the world was just this punching bag getting hit and hit and hit and um and and it was hard and uh I remember at the time uh I was involved in uh some um, anti war movements and and you would see how pe- how easily it was for um people to get burnt out and to just feel defeated um because you know there's this colossal force uh that was you know just it's just so strong and so persistent uh and there wasn't this this uh, um, this light that you know coming from from Russia and uh and Syria you know there there wasn't really that any other force on, on the world stage, so you know now now things, things have really changed and um at least in terms of being able to see uh that there is a different way and you know I think that that can give us hope um not just on the on the uh world stage and you know I, I don't I don't know how things will turn out on the world stage. Um but at least in terms of uh seeing that there are different ways of of being, um different avenues that you know uh we as people can, can take uh I think is a, a really important um message and yeah you know, and it's it's being shown through action um from by Putin um so yeah i just i just wanted to make that point um, one one other slightly separate topic um you know related to to all this uh is i think with, along with the um you know the frustrations and the depression that we can uh, occasionally feel or often feel is is also is also um, that we can also feel blocked uh in 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 being able to um, you know make any kind of progress whether it's personal or you know in in our, in our understanding of things we just feel like uh you know that there that um, maybe we're not moving forward, or that you know it's it's easy to kind of get tied up with uh our own stuff and i just I just wanted to bring that up um and maybe we can talk about you know ways of unblocking uh ourselves um, you know, I think when we do you know, engage with uh with other people and we do learn you know and and we have received you know some help uh from from other people and you know uh various material that you know we 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 get we feel the results and you know, and those results you know can be life changing in, in in many ways um but in order to kind of continue and not have um certain blockages come up, I think we need to continue in being able to give back basically the things that we've been, been given. Um I think a lot of times those blockages can come from just, you know, this piling up. Okay, yes, we've received all this 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 helpful information and, and it's 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 been great. Um but if we hold on to that and um, and you know don't engage with others, then that can kind of be a um, you know we we can we basically create a block for ourselves,
0: yeah, you know, I think it being blocked is a sign that we're cut off from others, and it's just mm-hmm. my experience is like no matter what I'm going through, I can always find someone who's gone through or going through worse, and I think um. When I get blocked, either the pain of seeing reality becomes too great, you just kind of shut it down. But always, it's it's getting out of that, and you know, reading about the Palestinians and reading about another innocent black man who's been beaten by a cop. It's putting myself in someone else's shoes. Um, because for me, sometimes you know, I'll read thought and it's just horrifying, and it's just the you can only your emotions can only go so far where you just. You know, like you said, yeah. block. And I guess taking time to relax, get a massage, have a sauna, read a book, um, watch a funny TV show um, to just get out of that funk. Um, but I think a, a real block comes from just being feeling cut off or, or the yeah. emotions are too much or cutting yourself off from other people somehow. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: But. Yeah, no, I think you brought up a, a couple of really good points. Um, and one... Made me think of um the wittico virus, which is a a term used by paul levy uh he was uh interviewed by behind the headlines and uh, there's a great show that people can look up uh on the sot radio network and you know that is that the the Wotico virus is basically you know when we're uh when we come become consumed by our own stuff, basically. So what you're describing, Meg, of, you know, kind of getting outside of yourself and, um, you know, looking at what's going on in the world, that that can be a way of, of you know, um, becoming unblocked from your own stuff.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> you know? And I think it gives you a sense of, of shared suffering. I mean, we've all had times in our lives that were really horrible to go through, and you can empathize with somebody who's having one of those times. I mean, whether it's the Palestinians mm-hmm. or whether it's the Ukrainians or whether it's, you know, anybody in the world. I mean, it gives us an opportunity to tap into empathy and compassion as opposed to, oh my God, my my life is horrible right now. Um, anyway.
3: Yeah, and and I think one of the one of the ways that anyone can do that is is just to engage more with the people in your own life, um, because it's very easy to just get caught up in our own suffering. And, you know, if we're depressed by what we read in the news or if we're depressed on just what's going on in our lives, the easiest way and probably the best way to get out of that is to get out of ourselves for a minute and focus on others. Um, and that can be, you know, helping out someone else who's struggling in something or just making, making the, the people in your lives, uh, making their lives easier by doing something for them. And it can be just very small, simple acts, but by by doing them repeatedly, that, um, you know, you become a force for, for, you know, for doing good in other people's lives. You make other people's lives better. And then, um, you know, hopefully that comes around to yourself. And just the act of focusing on someone else and focusing on being there for them, that will get you out of that rut. That kind of unblocks the blockage that's there. Um, So I think that's just... kind of the the first thing that people can do is just to stop focusing on you know how bad you feel and try to make someone else feel better because that's really the that's really where the change that we're talking about starts is in how you live your life how we live our lives and what we do you know with the people around us who are our lives Um, because that that's where we that's where we essentially start the creation of you know a new world a new way of living a new way of being um, that's where it starts.
2: Yeah. I agree. And, and I think that, you know, uh, I think what might get in the way of that quite often is, you know, if we are feeling down for whatever reason, uh, personal or or impersonal, um, you know, we say to ourselves, well, I, I can't or don't want to do that right now. I don't want to think about anyone else at the moment because I feel this way. Uh, but that's kind of the, you know, that's kind of the... Um, the block or the or the lie that we tell ourselves uh that uh gets in the way of actually doing it uh the way to do it is to just do it and um it's like um it's like you don't know until you start doing it yeah and then your experience of it uh is this pathway to uh sharing with other people and um and allowing them to have a bigger place in your own thinking and and feeling than that part of you that is depressed or moping or or kind of self focused or self absorbed uh for that time so um and you know that's that's why we read so many articles on sod about um, you know volunteering and your time and and going out and and you know uh enacting um uh compassionate behavior is such a beneficial uh stress reliever and um it it instills well being in yourself uh the very act of focusing on on the other person um, and uh and people people feel it and people know it uh when that that act of generosity uh that spirit of generosity is is given freely and um and uh, yeah, I think we can we can benefit from doing that as much as possible
3: well, I, see. Well, I think <clears throat> I think that comes think. back to to what uh, you know how the conversation that we're having today started about inspiration and the sources that we look to for inspiration. Because when we look around the world, I mean, we find the sources of inspiration in other people, um, in the things that they do, the acts that they do. It could be an act of kindness or courage. But then when we, you know, if you think about that for a second, okay, those are other people doing those things that are inspiring us. Well, then what is our, what is uh, what does our responsibility become I mean if we if we truly appreciate that inspiration that we receive from others I think that the the reasonable conclusion to come to would be that we should then in turn be that source of inspiration for others and because that's that's the only way it'll work If if we need that inspiration from others other people will need it and who's going to do it if not ourselves and so um so we've got to be that source we've got to be the, the the people trying to provide that for for someone and i think it applies to everyone so by doing these acts um you know it could be by volunteering or writing an article or just you know sharing information or being there for someone empathizing and um and you know that's how the you know the circle of life goes around is that you've basically got to take responsibility and um you know embody those things that you want to see in the world otherwise they're not going to be there and we can't uh we can't just expect other people to do everything for us. I mean, we've got to be the ones that do it. Um, uh, Shane, did you, uh, I interrupted you there. Did you have something that you wanted to add there?
1: Well, I, um, yeah, I was just thinking, you know, pain, Um you know, it, it, it can make us, you know, our, our default mode uh, seems to just go inward when, when we, when we experience pain. Um, some of the, you know, I, I know both with myself and um knowing other selfish people, you know, some of the times that you're most self absorbed is when you are, you know, feeling uh feeling pain. And you know, reaching out towards other people, you know, it is it is changing it's changing gears and you know, it's it's actually rewiring the brain to a, a different mode and you know it it's it's a different type of effort um but there is both relief you know of our own pain through that as well as uh helping others who are experiencing the same kind of pain um you know it, and it's that it's that kind of connection um that you know i think that you know we we seek to to build um and you know it's 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 both it's helpful for us and and for for other people when when we get into that mode.
4: Well,
3: well I, I just want to say one more thing on this on the topic of suffering, because um, another thing that that has come up on the other shows in the last week has been that the you know the purpose of of life and of existence and living in this world is suffering, and um, just to kind of place that in, the, in a certain context. Um, I think any of the examples of inspiration that we cite or that we just see in the world, they're only possible because of contrast. You know, if the world was all, you know, bubblegum and butterflies, then you'd have no frame of reference for what is actually inspiring. Everything would just be the same shade of, um, you know, bubblegum pink. But it is that contrast that makes the the inspiration so meaningful. It is, is, the, fact that there is the fact that there is suffering is what makes the... The, the examples of good and of um you know compassion and value um stand out and what makes them so meaningful. And I think one of the um one of the examples from um you know, from pop culture from the media that kind of had, was a source of inspiration for me that kind of that that showed that to me in a different way was in the first season of True Detective at the very end. So I mean if, if if you haven't seen it I'd recommend I mean I think I thought it was a good show, but at the very end of the at the very end of the series, the last scene, um the two characters, Rust and Marty, are talking to each other, you know, after going through this huge ordeal that had to do with, you know, some of the darkest aspects of, of life on this planet, which is um, you know, the abuse of children. And so I mean they've just been through horrible experiences and they're talking And one character, Rust, he was talking about how he used to, you know, look up into the sky in Alaska when he was a kid and make up stories about the stars. So Marty asks him about that, and so he says, "Um, I tell you, Marty, I've been looking up in that room, looking out those windows every night here, just thinking, it's just one story, the oldest. Marty says, what's that? Light versus dark. Marty says, well, I know we ain't in Alaska, but it appears to me that the dark has a lot more territory. Rust says, "Yeah, you're right about that." And then they talk a bit more, and then Rust says, uh, "You're looking at it wrong, the sky thing." Marty says, "How's that?" And Rust says, "Well, once there was only dark. You ask me, the light's winning." And I thought, you know, when I when I first saw that, that it really moved me because I mean, it's that yeah. there is that perspective. I mean, yeah, the the world is dark. There's a ton of darkness. But there are those little moments, and those, you know, every example of of the light within that darkness is a source of inspiration. And so, no, no matter how dark it is, there is light. And I think we need to, um, you know, I would like to latch onto that light and and um, you know, just um, appreciate it and be that source of light in the darkness. And I think that's all we can do.
4: Yeah.
2: Well, gee, Harrison, I don't even want to. Talk about any other stories.
3: Oh, I had one more story I wanted
0: to <laughs> bring I, I, up. I, I
2: just, I just want to, I just want to sit with with that, uh, <laughs> okay, with, okay.
0: With that sentiment and anecdote.
2: That would be a, a beautiful way to end the show for today. But um, no,
0: we can. It's it's absolutely no, no. fine. I was beautifully stated, but Harrison really.
2: Yeah, but Thanks. Meg, by all means.
0: Well, I um, uh, well, uh, drives me crazy. Um, there's an article up. Uh, the D- a judge in Detroit. Um, basically lambasted one of the police officers for his brutality. And um, I was searching to, you know, confirm some things with the article, and the coverage of this is abysmal. I mean, the judge's name, in case you want to search yourself, is Judge Vonda Evans. She's in Detroit. And um, she basically just called this cop for what he was. He got 13 months to 10 years for assaulting this this black man. But the lack of coverage on mainstream news sites, I mean, that – you put, you know, any story, you know, from earthquake to, you know, police brutality, you'll get coverage from all over um, the Internet and different media sources, but that there was nothing there. And that's my first thing that really ticked me off. Um, but it's, it's like for the first time, there's a 20-minute a clip of her lambasting this officer, and there's a shorter clip um, that we were going to upload, but Blog Talk said no, wouldn't allow us to do it. And it was inspiring to me because, you know, I have a legal background and judges are kind of God in the legal world. And for her to uh, sentence this officer, the guy wasn't killed. He was hurt. He's got some brain damage. Um, sends a ripple effect out uh, in a legal community like that, especially in Detroit, um, to to give this officer jail time, prison time for what he did to this man. And I, thought I think that's important and inspiration. I mean, she's just one person sitting in a courtroom. Um, a former lawyer, now a judge. Um, and I, hopefully it'll make a difference. I mean, the, the fact that she did that, but the lack of coverage bothered me. I mean, normally you can find it at lots of places, but I couldn't find it many. So,
2: And, and basically, she kind of tore him
0: apart. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pull and... some quotes here. I've got, I've got some, some... I want to give you an idea of what this cop was like. Okay? Um, this is a tweet that he sent to his friend. Um, this was a couple months after he attacked this guy Dent. And he says, at least give me that satisfaction of knowing you're out there beating up niggers right now. And Melinda has texted to this other cop and the cop replied, lol, just got done with one. Okay, um, This cop has been this is called RoboCop apparently because of his pre- predilection for violence against people. Um, he's been in trouble for falsifying reports, uh, killing innocent people, um, planning evidence. He's a complete slimeball. All right? This is... He needs to be off the streets. needs to be in jail. And this, the coverage of it is abysmal. I mean, I, you you could... I read probably six or seven different articles, and each news site would pull stuff from her... This, this woman's 30-minute... This judge's 30-minute diatribe. Mm-hmm. And it all didn't paint the picture. You know what I mean? It was just... I don't know. It just bothered me that there was no coverage of this stuff, and this guy is a real... A real scumbag. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway.
2: And, and the judge herself was a, a black woman, right? She was
0: a black woman, yeah. And you, she's visibly disturbed. You can see it in the video um, by this. I wanna, I'm going to pull another um, something that she said to him. She, in Some part in the testimony, or when she was talking, she said... Uh, The one image that struck out to the court was looking at Mr. Dent in his cell, shaking his head in disbelief of what had occurred to him. If his conduct was indicative of what he was thinking, I would have thought this. What crime did I commit being a black man in a Cadillac stopped for a minor traffic offense by a group of racist police officers looking to do an N-word? She really brought home the outrage, and I'm Picked off that there's not more coverage. Maybe there will be in the next few days, other places, but it's an important message to send to the legal community in Detroit. It's an important message to send to cops. It's an important message to get out there that at least one judge spanked them, you know? And she's got a career. She's got to deal with these criminal defense attorneys and these prosecutors and these cops every day. Mm-hmm. Um, So I think it was a huge risk on her part to do that. Um, Anyway. Rant over. <laughs> well, regarding the lack
1: of coverage, I think it speaks to what Elon mentioned earlier is that you know, inspiration is dangerous uh to you know, this the system in which we live and because like that awakens people's humanity. And Absolutely. when when you listen to this this judge speak, it does, it awakens your conscience and you know and and there is some uh you know it, it's 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 both a relief to hear you know somebody say this was wrong you're responsible and you're going to jail and you know it, it, it's it's a relief and and at the and at the same time you know it it is it it speaks to you know just the um injustice of you know the event and that's what we uh you know is so rare in in the United States. No, like these uh, corrupt politicians, these um, barbaric police, you know, they're not held accountable. There is no accountability. And so it is uh, inspiring when we do see a judge of conscience, you know, speak out and take action on on these things.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Well, just a couple of more quick, articles here that um, I found inspiring. Uh, One of them was occurred earlier in the week uh, when uh, U.S. Secretary of State Kerry visited Italy. Um, He was at a conference with the Italian Foreign Minister Paolo Gentiloni when a woman in the audience shouted, it's you who created Daesh. I mean, you know, when I read that, I, that was as satisfying to me as that guy in Iraq who threw his shoe at George <laughs> yeah, W. Bush yeah. during that conference. And yeah. the, you know, the only unsatisfying thing about that was that the shoe didn't hit him in the head and knock him over. He was pretty quick. He, he was, and, and the guy was throwing it at a pretty big distance. But um, yes, yes, lady, you know, say it. Uh, it's true. It's the elephant in the room. It's the big lie, and uh, we need a million more people. Uh, screaming at John Kerry whenever he's in public. You created Daesh, you bastard.
0: And millions of judges smacking these cops for doing what they do. Absolutely.
2: And lastly, um, there was a, also earlier in the week, um, Adam Horowitz of Mondo Weiss covered this story. Um, Apparently, there was a group in New York City who uh, reproduced a um for, for folks who don't know the New York Times is this bastion of kind of uh establishment views it's um it's along with perhaps the Washington Post and very few other newspapers in the US uh really considered to be you know the kind of bottom line establishment um newspaper even though occasionally you hear a story that uh kind of goes against establishment thinking in, in Washington. Um, you know, when Vladimir Putin wants to place an ad in in uh, a newspaper in the United States and write a letter to the American people and government, he places it in the New York Times. Um, and, uh, you know, when a political group that's got a lot of money wants to spread their message, they place it in the New York Times. Um, in any case, uh, a group had reproduced a, a very good kind of facsimile of the New York Times earlier in the week um, that said that um, the New York Times is announcing a new editorial policy towards Israel-Palestine and that they're making changes with the editorial policy and that the changes are going to be an attempt to address, address both realities on the ground and the concerns readers have expressed about fairness in our reporting. We are proud to bring you more trustworthy and fact-based coverage. And um, with this, uh, and and the reason they're doing this, of course, is because the New York Times almost always comes down on the side of Israel. Always. Um, And so whoever put together this supplemental that, that they distributed all around New York, thousands of people got it, saying, you know, very cleverly, did their own kind of editorial, the New York Times. Um, So that inspired me. I thought, I thought, shit, that's really, that's wonderful. And, uh, and God, if we only had more people doing that and screaming, you created Daesh. And,
0: (laughs) and
2: and really bringing about awareness and creative ways that uh, get people to think, geez, somebody went through a great deal of trouble to, uh, convey in a very clever way the problem of how we're being lied to on certain issues.
0: Yeah. That's inspiring, Ilan. Well, I thought that so. inspiring. Anyway, <laughs> did we have
2: anything else we wanted to cover this week before we say good night or good afternoon?
3: I, th- I think I'm all out of inspiration for the day. <laughs>
1: well, hopefully, um, hopefully our listen listeners are both uh, inspired and will will seek to inspire others um, as we as we move forward in these dark times. We all need a a bit of inspiration. Harrison said
2: earlier, "Be the light."
0: Uh, well, the light is winning. Well, that too.
2: Yeah, be the light you want to see in the world. Absolutely and uh on that note um thank you for listening today, everybody. Thank you for our chatters for chatting and chiming in and uh for Stephen calling in and sharing your thoughts on things uh don't forget tomorrow behind the headlines that it's new time uh twelve noon eastern standard time uh next week, the health and wellness program at friday ten a m and um We hope all of you uh, remain safe and well and wise and strong and hopefully a little inspired. And
1: thanks for listening. Inspire each other. Uh, Thanks for listening, everybody.
3: Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Bye.